So we're at the end of chapter 4, beginning at verse 35 in the Gospel of Mark, and I will read now the text that I'll be preaching from. And, I, and this is, you know, the Old Testament is Jesus' life. And, and I'm going to read this and think of Psalm 107. That was just read for us a moment ago. Right? David writes this psalm talking about God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness and God's love. And, and it's about Israel, but it's not about Israel alone. It's about Jesus. So listen to this and think of all of the types and shadows from Psalm 107. On that day when the evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, uh, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep, on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Now, we're gonna, um, I'm going to mention for a moment. Don't worry, he broke a candle. It's okay. Everyone look. We'll get over it. And then we'll look away. <laughs> we got more in the back. I'm gonna, I was going to stop here anyway because I like N.T. Wright's, uh, he has his own translation of the New Testament. And in this part, he doesn't say, Peace, be still. He says, Shut up. <laughs> right, N.T. Wright, a theologian, he was a, he was a bishop in the Anglican Church. That that's his translation because he thinks it, it it's more it's it's similar to what what he actually said is similar to our modern shut up. He doesn't just stand up and be like, oh hey you know calm calm down. He stands up and he says shut up, and it shuts up. So just think about that, right? It, it, it this this. Whole thing is about the fact that this is not a tame lion. <laughs> this this God is not safe. Okay, and and when you wake him up from his nap, be careful. <laughs> and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, "Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith?" And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, "Who then is this?" But even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, as we row this service to the other shore, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see the storm that we are carrying in our own boat. You are not a tame God, but you are a good God. You are a God who says and does the right thing in every moment. Everything that you do is perfect and wise and merciful. We thank you for your grace. And though your grace often hurts, it is grace that is saving us from an even worse illness. We thank you for the power of your word that is, in fact, more terrible and more terrifying than the evil that your word silences. We thank you for your son, and we pray, Lord God, that you would encourage our faith, encourage our hearts, and fill us with joy this morning. Amen. So what we've wandered into here, going directly from the parables to the story, actually is not, is not a break. It's not like there's parables, and then there's just this random story about a boat. This actually is the last of the parables in chapter 4. And, and what Jesus is doing now, what Mark is showing us that Jesus is doing, is that his teaching now isn't just what he says. He's teaching them by what he does. He speaks in parables and he acts in parables. 
This whole thing is a setup. He's the one that tells them to row across. Did he not know there was a storm coming? Right? I, I thought he knew what was coming. He does know what's coming. So then the question becomes, well, why would he tell his, his followers to row him into a storm? Well, because he needed a nap. <laughs> he's, he's had a long, hard day of preaching. And it's the same day. They, they rowed him in the same boat that in chapter 4, verse 1, that he's sitting in when he's teaching. They don't go to shore. He just lies down in the back, in, in the pilot seat, which is where you steer the boat from. And he goes to sleep, and they row him on the same day that he was doing all this other teaching over to the other shore. And, but he's not done teaching. Right? The, the disciples at this point, like many of us think, okay, following Jesus is sitting around in a circle singing kumbaya and discussing the deep theological mysteries of the faith. Like it's a philosophical society or something. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Um, that's not it. Right? I will explain these parables to you. But, but there, there's a greater mystery here. And, and if you don't understand the parable of the soil, you aren't going to understand the parable of the sea and the boat. It's, he hasn't left off one thing and, and just gone in a totally different direction. This parable that he is enacting right now is about the parable of the sowers, the sower and the soils, the parable of the hearers. They think they've heard him. They think, these disciples, that they understand him. But he has another word. And it's not a word um, in the same way that's a story. He stands up and he speaks to a storm. And just like they had to try to figure out what it meant when he's talking about the soils, now they have to try to figure out what it means that he can do such a thing. Who is this man in the boat? They think they have him figured out, and just when they think they have him figured out, he's like, hey, guys, let's just uh, row. See the sh- you can see the shore from here. Let's just row over there. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> this has been a pretty nice day. We sat around. We got all this esteem from all these other, all these people over here who don't have any idea what he's talking about. We know what he's talking about. Yeah, let's roll over there. What's next? And, and what we have here is a transitional piece, this section at the end of four. It's transitional. It's connecting what's come with what's coming. So in the first couple of chapters, what, what happens every time he teaches? Every time he teaches, people are full of awe. They're amazed. Look at the authority of this guy. Well, and they start to figure out a little bit about who he is. But he wants to take them up a level now. He wants to teach them, he wants to go further in, further up, and teach them who he really is. And so instead of what he says and does creating amazement, like it has in the first few chapters, over the next, between here and the end of six, what he says and does creates fear. He fills the people who are following him with fear. It's not enough to just sit around and understand him. You have to fear him because he's not just some teacher. They think he's a great teacher and they think they're going to become great teachers by following him. But he is not just some teacher. So after this, think about it. His very own followers are filled with fear. The woman we're going to talk about who has the blood, right? She's bleeding. It doesn't stop. She touches him. He turns around. He knows the power has gone out from him. And it says that she is full of fear. He goes and he heals a a, a young woman who died. He raises her and everyone is filled with fear. Why would he do this? Right? This doesn't sound very nice. Why why is is he frightening everyone? (laughs) Why does he tell them to get into a boat, to go out onto a sea where he knows a storm is coming? 
who is this? And, and, and it's not as simple as like, oh, well, we know who it is. It's Jesus, the Son of God. Bam, done. What's wrong with you guys? Come on. This is your life. You thought, okay, we'll just get in the boat in this marriage, and we'll just row over to the other side. You gave us these kids, we'll just hop in this boat, and we'll start rowing. It's going to be great. <laughs> and you think you know him, and you do. But he's saying to get into the boat, and, and he's saying, row me over there, and he's taking you into the storms, isn't he? So much so that I, I, I believe at times some of us wish that we maybe would have just gone on to shore for a little while. What was true for the people who were in the boat with him, the people who were hearing him, because they said there's other boats. So it's not just about the guys in the boat with him. There's all these other people in all these other boats who can see what's going on. And all of them are left questioning in their hearts, who is this? He says hard things. Who can follow this guy? Who can understand this guy? And, and what is meant for them is meant as well for you. Because you think you know him pretty well. And so you're like, okay, cool, let's get in the boat. <laughs> it's that easy, right? Just row for a little while, and then we're there. This is a new um, message that he is giving. It's not just one of amazement. It's not just one of startling, joyous, oh, look at this, this is awesome. They are more afraid of him at the end of this story than they are of the storm. So imagine that the thing that you hope is going to save you is more terrifying than the thing you're saved from. And that doesn't comport with what most of us think about God, right? No, no, no. He's just he's the band-aid God. He's the cooing God. He's the God that gives us the soft word that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. This is not a tame God. And and the disciples are beginning to figure out that following him, this way that he's leading them, that is going to end in a cross, as we all know, they're beginning to figure out that it's not the easy-peasy, easy-safe selfishness that they thought they were going to get. Oh, well, he's the king, He's the king. so if we follow him, we're going to live in king's courts. We're going to be his advisors. We're going to be. We going to go where he goes. We're going to eat what he eats. We're going to conquer the enemies he conquers. It's going to be great. And they're finding out, no, wait, whoa, whoa. Oh, 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 storms? What do you mean i got to come out on this boat and bail for my life? I thought following you was life. Yeah, yep, following me is life, so you better start bailing because that water looks like it's getting pretty high. <laughs> I'd go faster. <laughs> now, what we have here is, is a very interesting, very terse, very quick story. But it's full of a lot of eyewitness uh, details. There are things here that are mentioned that aren't mentioned in the other Gospels. Some of them are the cushion. It says the cushion. Because in those days, you had a, in the back of the boat, you can stand and, and work the tiller. Or if you were really tired, there's a cushion you pull out, and you kind of put it on the wood there, and you sit. That's a detail. That, uh, he, he was not just asleep in the boat. He's asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion. The water was already coming over the gunwales. There's all these other boats. We took him just as he was. We didn't even go ashore. There's all these just quick things that are here because this is clearly an account of Peter. The other thing is that when, when they speak to him, when they wake him up, they are not, they are not very nice. Their, their tone is not one of respect and reverence. It's accusation, rebuke. The other accounts leave that out. Now, why do you think Peter would want that put in? 
Well, because he's, right? It's funny how all the other Gospels take Peter very seriously and they show him a lot of honor and respect. That teaches you a little something about how you talk about brothers. But when he's talking about himself, I I find this echoes in my, I, I, I identify with this a lot. He has no problem telling you how it really is. Yeah, we didn't just wake him up, <laughs> Mark, let me tell you. We shook him awake, and then we gave him the what for. Like, what are you doing back here, man? <laughs> That's an interesting detail, because this is, this is Peter's account of what happened. And that, that at least, um, is fascinating, and it helps us to understand that this actually, this isn't just a nature miracle that the early church made up. These kinds of details are, are about people who, 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 who eyewitnesses say these kinds of details in criminology when you're taking reports from people who saw a crime. They throw out all kinds of weird little things. Like, I don't really care what color the coat of the guy behind the counter was. I care about the gun that the other guy was sticking in his face. And, and so what, what I like about this is it, solid, it really clarifies the fact that this is not just some story made up. Because when you're making up a story, generally you don't add in a bunch of random details. You add details, but then you make the details part of the story. You don't just mention boats and then not mention them again. Right? There's these other boats, and then they don't say anything. That's a random detail. That's an eyewitness detail. So that's one interesting thing to notice as we get into this story. The other thing is that there, there are these echoes here with Jesus in the storm and Jesus in the demons because the word that they say, don't you care that we're perishing, is the same word, it's destroyed. Don't you care that we're being destroyed? It's the same word that the demons used earlier in Mark. Did you come to destroy us? So they're essentially asking Jesus, you let us out here to destroy us? Now, the other thing is when he stands up and he says, be silent to the storm, it's exactly what he says to the demons. Be silent. Right now, if somebody were to wake me up all of a sudden and I had the authority and the power to stop a storm, I don't think I'd say be quiet. I think I'd just say stop. Right? Doesn't it? Have you ever thought, doesn't it? Be quiet sounds like a weird thing to say to a storm. But, but there, there's a point here. The point is, in, in the Old Testament, the sea always, always is associated with dark, evil forces. Nasty, horrible things come out of the sea. Terrible um, Gross, ungodly things live in the sea. Leviathan lives in the sea. When, when God talks about other, uh, like the Babylon, he talks about it being a boat wandering out on the sea. If you turn to the book of Nahum, <laughs> that one, oh yeah, that one, we all know that one. Nahum, chapter 1, I'm just going to read it for you. Don't, don't try to find it. It took me a little while to find it. <laughs> this is what it says. Now listen, listen. It's a rebuke to... Um, nations that are judging Israel. And, and so the prophet has a word for them. But listen to the language, and you get to understand what the sea represents. Because though there are fishermen in Israel, they don't really go out on the sea. They hire other countries to go out on the sea for them to explore. But this is what it says. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. This is, th- th- his way is in the will- whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. So when he's talking about 
speaking pow- powerful words to the sea and speaking powerful words to these other nations, th- there's, there's a similarity there. This is also why when he sends all these other nations to um, discipline Israel, he, he talks about it in the sense that they flood over their, their barrier that he's placed and they flood the land, the holy land. So the sea is a nasty and wicked place. And so not only has he told them to go out onto the sea, while they're out onto the sea, they're attacked by this force that he acts like, he speaks to it as if it's the demons. Now remember, he's bound the strong man. There was a direct confrontation between him and Satan, and what, how, did, how did that work out for Satan? Not so good. So it says in the other Gospels that Satan withdrew at that point and looked for a more opportune time. So, I mean, if, now talking tactics, if I'm Satan and I see this boat out in the middle of night, by the way, rowing across this sea where sudden storms happen all the time, and I see, oh, look, Jesus is sleeping. Okay, now is my opportunity to just get rid of him. So that's actually what's going on here. And this is what Mark is always doing. He doesn't want you just to see what you can see with your eyes. He wants you to know what's going on behind it. This is not some quaint story about how Jesus is actually God and he can tell nature to do whatever he wants to do. All the other themes of Mark are here. There is an unnatural, unholy force that hates him and everything he stands for. And he will take it on wherever he finds it. It wants to crush him. It wants to end his, his entire ministry early so that he cannot come to the cross. And, and so what's going on here isn't just a storm. Because what goes on in your life isn't just storms. right? Is a car wreck ever just a car wreck? There's no impersonal forces at all ever in this world anywhere. Nothing just happens. Nothing is by chance. There's something going on behind everything. Now, who is this person in the boat, right? What, what is this whole story really trying to show us? Well, he keeps referring to himself by this title, the Son of Man. Well, the Son of Man in Hebrew could just be as simple as the guy, a dude, man, or it could be this character from Daniel 7 who at the end of all time stands before the very throne of God judging the nations, now, when he, nobody ever referred to this as the Messiah, though, as I've said before. And so when he uses the, the phrase son of man, everybody just thinks he's saying man. Later, they're going to execute him for calling himself the son of man because by the time it gets to there, everybody has figured out who he's really calling himself. He's not just saying, hey, some guy. He's referring to himself as the, the man, the son of man from Daniel 7. But let's go to Daniel 7 and let's look at what it says there. I'm... Daniel 7, I'm going to just skip around a little bit, so just, you don't have to follow along, just listen. Daniel saw a dream and visions of his, of his head as he lay in his bed. I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, There came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages. Who does this sound like to you? Who is this son of man? Would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
Now, how, how is it that the Son of Man is able to do this? I thought all the, right, these four beasts come out of the sea that God himself has stirred up, and, and they're, the reference to these four beasts is that they are four nations who are ruling the world. Well, it says, it says, and I looked, and the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to, the, to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So the Son of Man is someone who goes out on the sea and destroys beasts that want to hold the world in bondage. So Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man, and nobody quite understands at this point who he's talking about. But he wants to show them that he is, in fact, the Son of Man. Watch. Row me across. Row me across the sea. I'm going to sleep because I need the energy. But when the forces of darkness, like one of these beasts, come up and try to attack us and try to take this dominion from me, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to defeat him just like I've defeated every other demon that's come into the story up to this point. Because I've bound the strong man and there's no longer any authority, any power that can stand against me. He's taking it up a notch. That, you, you, the revelation about who he is, he continues to say hard things, he continues to do things, and if you just look at the surface of it, you're not really going to understand what's going on. He is making a claim about himself by doing this at this point that is outrageous. It's outrageous. In the end, it's, gonna, it's the thing that's going to get him killed, calling himself this son of man. But this is, it's parables. You see how it's a parable? Because he doesn't just come around and be like, okay, Everyone turn to Daniel 7 now and look at verse 13 where it says the Son of Man kills these beasts. (laughs) No. He's like, all right, what I want them to understand is that I have the power over darkness and hell and Satan and all of his minions and sin and death. I want them to understand this. And I could tell them, but then if I told too many people directly, they might believe. This is what he says about parables, right? So he, he starts to clothe what he's doing. And so he's, instead of just telling them outright, what I'm going to do is live it out. I'm going to be an example of what I'm talking about. And it's up to them to either come closer or go farther away. So at the end of this story, what do you, I mean, there the disciples are. There's all these other boats watching what just happened. And people are now unsettled to the point to, do we want to continue to follow this guy or not? He does not seem safe. Who is he? Who does he make himself out to be? What does it mean for us? Because he's not, Jesus is never fine with just leaving things as they are, leaving people as they are. He wants to test you. He wants to see, have you counted the cost? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I counted the cost. People explained to me what was required of me when I got baptized. I counted the cost, and I thought, yeah, I want that. I want in. And so I came aboard. He's like, well, (laughs) Have you counted the cost lately? It it, it was uncertain in the beginning, and and you went out on the boat with me in faith, but are you out on the boat now thinking that it's just you rowing yourself along? Are you the one in the captain's seat? He wants to know, have you counted the cost lately? He doesn't want easy, safe selfishness. Why, now, why is he sleeping in the boat? He's in the pilot seat. He's the guy who's supposed to be driving the boat, and he's sleeping. Now, have you ever felt like you know, you're crying out to God, and you're like, where is he? I like this metaphor here, because God never sleeps like men sleep. But it's a metaphor. It's a parable. Do you understand? Sometimes you're wondering where he is, and he, he's just letting you sort of wallow in the fear for a minute. 
Now, that sounds hard, doesn't it? But that's what the parables are all about, hard sayings that you have to deal with. Because as soon as he's awake, what does he do? Does he say, oh, I don't know. I don't know, that sermon looks nasty, but what do you think, Peter? No, John, should I do something about it? I don't know. All right, fine. Shut up. No, what does he do? He gets up out of the boat. He looks at the story and says, shut up! Immediately. Immediately, he deals with the storm. He deals with the problem right away. So why then, why didn't you just wake up as soon as there was a one drop of rain on Peter's forehead and stand up and say, shut up, storm? Why did you make him suffer like that? Because they have to decide, who is this? And do I want to stay in this boat? And that unsettles, or should unsettle, everyone in this room. Because we want soft soap Jesus. We want easy, safe, selfishness Jesus. We want the Jesus who says, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. You're fine. You're good. I, I just, yeah, that's your, that's your request. That's what you want to do? Rubber stamp it, baby. I don't want life to be too hard. I don't want you to have to go through anything difficult. I mean, I had to go the way of the cross, but no, no, no. No, I, I went the way of the cross so that everybody else could just live in middle-class respectability. You have to understand what following him actually requires of you. Right? Because we, right? How, how often does he say, yeah, we, we come to him with our requests. I'm just going to say a few random ones. You know, God, I'm 22. I really like to get married. Okay, cool. We'll do that. Get in the boat. <laughs> you start rowing. 15 years later, you're like, the coast doesn't seem any closer. And I am still rowing. And what is happening? And for reasons of his own that he's not going to explain to you, he's sleeping. And he's like, just trust me. Just trust me and row. Just row. That's what you're required to do is row. I'll take care of everything else. And two years go by, and five years go by, ten years go by, and you're like, right? And, and there's a storm, not so much around you, but in your own heart. Why is this taking so long? And he wakes up, and you're married before you know it, and he says in the end, why didn't you have more faith? And all of us are like, okay, Mike. That doesn't sound like the Jesus that you hear on 105.3. <laughs> Right? That's not the Jesus you hear about on there. I, I just want to cry out, right? I, I, I have cancer. I just want to wake up tomorrow and for the tumor to be miraculously gone. What I don't want to do is wake up in the NICU where I'm so deranged from the drugs that I've had to take. There's 17 stitches in my chest and I'm three pounds lighter because of the tumor they took out of me. Oh, and maybe you'll be able to get up in four weeks. Nobody wants to be saved like that. Because they're like, well, how is this? That doesn't sound like a Christmas carol. That sounds violent. That sounds dangerous. That sounds like at 50,000 different points in that story, I'm going to have to trust him. He said, like, yeah, get in the boat. All I want, look, the shore is right there. It's not that far. <laughs> Just get in the boat. Roll me over. Please, God, please give us kids. Give us children. Please open the womb. You're the one that opens the womb. He's like, okay. Done. Right? And there are so many miscarriages, and there are so many starts and stops, and it's so troubling that things that should be joyous are, are occasions where you're crying. The very bringing into life becomes death. And you're like, Jesus, 
What are you doing? What are you doing? He'd say, oh, um, oh, yeah, okay, here, have some children. Why didn't you just wake up and do it like this? Wake up! He's like, yeah, I'm here. Bam, here's kids. Delight in them. Why didn't you have more faith? And we hear that, and we're like, that is, right? This is the way that he approached teaching the, the people who wanted to follow him. And, and because cultures change, and because our ability to understand is at time very limited, we don't understand quite how violently, violently, he's attacking self. We want it to be easy. We want it to be safe, and it is neither. Who is this guy who's in the boat? Who is he? Right? And you wonder, and you're like, well, you know, can he? Can he stop the storm? Right? All along, we're bailing water out like crazy. We're like, okay, you know what we should do? Yes, yes. Silly me. Jesus is in the back of the boat. Let's go get him. So we go down there and we rebuke him. Jesus, wake up, man. Why are you sleeping? What's the matter with you? And he wakes up and he stops the storm and he turns to you and he says, what's the matter with you? And we don't like that. We're not comfortable with that. We want Jesus just to speak and stop the storm and everything to be okay. But sometimes what's not okay isn't the storm, it's the lack of faith in the people who are in the boat with him. We're going to go on and we're going to see, there's going to be places he goes where he can't do anything because of the lack of faith. They're like, hey, uh, how come you can't do more miracles here, Jesus? It's like, well, if you guys believed, I would. I could. You're like, wait a minute, that doesn't comport with a whole lot of theology that I've got. I'm going to leave that to you. When he goes to places where there's not faith, what does it mean that he can't do the miracles because they don't have faith? I don't know, but do you ever feel like we're just, we're not really crying out for revival. We're not really crying out for abortion to stop. We get a little upset, we throw a little Facebook tantrums, and then we wonder why he's sleeping in the back of the boat. Wake up! Oh, wake up. Oh, you guys want a revival? I don't think you're ready for that. You know, how, you know how dangerous that is? You know how dangerous a real revival is? Have you ever read about revivals? Right? Let, let's go. There's a revival in the Middle East right now. <laughs> oh, oh, there is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, it's the direct result of everything that ISIS is doing. But we've been praying for ISIS to stop working for, for, for years. Yeah, and, and, and it's terrible. It's a terrible storm, and people are suffering and dying, and the church is exploding, and the glory of God is, is being spread from household to household in neighborhoods and cities like you wouldn't believe. And you're like, well, okay, um, but can we have that other kind of revival where everybody just suddenly magically believes, where it doesn't cost them anything? And she's like, I'm just going to take a nap. I'm going to let you guys bail for a while. Someone, I, like, actually, Judas, I see you over there. You're not really bailing. Okay? I'm just going to nap, though. You guys, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you in a minute. This God, who says, get in my boat, he invites you into his boat. He commands you, says, take me over there. Let's go. Are, are you ready for what, what is going to happen when you're in the boat? Because I'm, tell, I'm telling you guys, it's not a cruise, right? It's not one of those cruise boats I was just looking at where they have like zip lines and 18 different things to eat and a casino. It's not that kind of boat. 
we want that kind of, we're like, yeah, yeah. Yes, I'll take a huge suite up on the top. I can skeet shoot right out of my uh, window here. It's amazing. You can actually do that. You can skeet shoot out of your suite window. Doug, you should seriously consider it. <laughs> right? And, and that we're like, hey, Jesus, the SS Jesus, let's get on that boat, baby. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to really work on my poker skills. And you, and you look down right, from 37 stories, and there's this tiny little boat, this little church, rowing as hard as it can, bailing water because the big cruise ship is going by, like spilling water in there. And they're wondering, what is going on? And I'm with you. What is going on? What is he going to do about it? But I'm. I, but listen, are you ready for what he's going to do about it? Everybody thinks it's going to be a Hallmark movie, right? Those sweet Hallmark movies where some big city person moves to a little town and writes all the wrongs with their family and they fall in love and it seems to always be the same script, same character, same music. One of those Hallmark movies, you slap Christian on there. We think that's what it ought to be like. We're not not expecting uh, Saving Private Ryan, right? Okay, guys, go up on shore. We, we have to cry out to him. He's in the boat. And this is a metaphor. He's not sleeping. But he's in the boat, and he's in the captain's seat, and he's watching what we're doing, and, and he's engaged even with what we're doing. And, and, and we, do you even desperately want him to pay attention and to do something? Do you? And if you do, what are you willing to do to show him that? What lengths are you willing to go to cry out to him, Right? I just read in Kings, there's, there's this guy, they, they tear his clothes and they really, the king, they grab onto him violently and they tear his clothes and they realize he's wearing like camel's hair on himself. Now, I'm not saying please go buy a camel hair jacket, but I'm saying he was in deep repentance with what was going on. He's crying out three, four times a day. And, 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 and I'm telling you, those guys were not ready for, for salvation, right? Jonah is floating down to the bottom of the, of the, of the sea. And he's like, please, Jesus, save me. Please, Jesus, save me. Please, Jesus, save me. And then he gets swallowed by a whale, and Jesus says, you're welcome. Right? That is not the story that we want, is it? But that's the story you're living in. So he can stand up, and he can tell the storm to shut up. But when he does, it's terrifying because of who he is. Are you? Do you really want that? Do you want the terrible word to be spoken by God that sets things right at whatever cost to him, at whatever cost to you? Because this isn't soft soap, Jesus. He said, die to yourself and follow me. And we're like, okay, follow him. (laughs) Let's get in the boat and start rowing, baby. And they weren't listening and they weren't paying attention. So he's showing them because he loves them. You have to die to yourself if you're going on this journey with me. He says, I will give you everlasting life. I will give you the stars. You will judge angels. And we're like, yeah, baby, let's row. And then it comes with a price tag. It does. You can't earn it. But once he puts it into your hands, you can't have hands full of the world, hands full of self, and hands full of his blessing. You can't have both at the same time. And what he's trying to do is say, okay, get in the boat, and the storm comes, and it shakes all that stuff out of your hands until you're willing to wake him up. And then, then... 
there's an even bigger storm coming. And his storm's a moment, it's a word. (laughs) Healing comes that fast. And then the great calm came over the sea. Now, that, that right, sitting here, it's warm in here, it's nice. We're going to have some coffee and cookies in a minute. This is a great message. Sign me up for that calm water, baby. Let's go back again, though. Let's go back. What's required for the calm sea? Terror, near-death experience, <laughs> in which you have to lay everything down in order to take hold of him. Okay, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. He gave them the Proverbs in the parables. He said, here, this is, these are the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Here's how you're going to understand everything I'm going to say. And so they take the Proverbs, but they don't have any wisdom yet because they don't fear the one who gave them the Proverbs. He takes them out on the boat, and he teaches them that last thing that they're going to need because he is a faithful and loving God. And he teaches them fear. That's what this section is about. You can't just read the word of God, get these mysteries, and assume that you're wise. Because you have to fear him more than you fear the storm. You have to fear him because he can stand up and in a whisper say, shut up. And the storm that was threatening your very life ceases to exist. Do you believe that he can do it? Do you know who he is? He is the God that calls you into his boat to go out onto the stormy seas. And he's not afraid. He's sleeping. <laughs> right? He, he's so at ease, he can lay there and take a nap while the rest of us are freaking out of our minds. And in the end, we realize what? There was no need to be afraid at all. And that's painful to find out, isn't it? Right? <laughs> In the end, when he's done, he justifies the faith we should have had all along. And and so there's all kinds of applications here. Are, are, Are you crying out to him? Do you want him to wake up? Do you want him to speak the terrible word of silencing the storm? Do you? And are you prepared for how terrible it might be? I'm going to go back to Eustace. And um, this is be how I close. I'll go on talking this way all day. Eustace turns into a dragon in C.S. Lewis's story, The Dawn Treader. And when it comes to be undragoninged, he comes and he tears his own skin off. But what he realizes is there's another dragon underneath that dragon. So Aslan, who's not a tame lion, comes and with his, his claw scratches him. And Eustace thinks it's unbearable and he's going to die. And he tears off the dragon skin and lo and behold, what's beneath it? Another dragon skin. And and he has to do this seven times. Seven times. And the seventh time, he tears him so deep, he feels like he's died. And at last, the dragon skin comes off. Now, what is C.S. Lewis saying in that story? Right? To be undragoned, we think, okay, we just unzip this dragon suit we're wearing, and that's as easy as that, baby. I'm in the boat. Row away. There's another boat in another story, right? There's another story not long after this. You think, okay, they've learned what they've needed to learn, right? To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But there's another story about a boat and where he sends him out alone on the boat. And a terrible storm comes up. 
and threatens to, right? They can't make it, and it looks like they're going to drown again. And here he is again. And he's like, okay, well, I'll go out to them this time because they need to know that I'm more terrible and more fearful than the storm that, 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 that right now they're all fixated on. And so he walks on the water out to them. And, and if you understand this, like, wait, how is that story really different from this story? Well, the lesson really isn't. The sea's the same. You know, I would even bet money it's the same boat. <laughs> because this is, we're stubborn people. We're stubborn, stubborn people. And, and when he cleanses us, when he takes off another layer of the dragon's skin, it is not comfortable. It's not comfortable. You're going to wake up in the NICU, <laughs> foggy from the drugs, with stitches. And then you're going to have to do rehab. And then you're going to think, okay, all right, now I'm back, baby. I can run a mile again, right? I, I, I had the bypass. All, I, that was really terrible. I nearly died. I'm good, right? And then you get up on there and, you're, and you break your leg. <laughs> and you're like, well, God, are you sleeping back there? He's like, no, no. I quieted that storm and you were ready for the next storm. Do you trust me yet? So th- this is what Mark is inviting you to. It's a storm, right? There's a storm all around us. Some of you are in a worse storm than you realize. And Mark is saying, go, go and wake him up. Go and wake him up. But, but as he turns to you, and the, and the storm in the background is quieting down into nothing, he's going to look you in the eye and he's going to say, why didn't you have more faith? And that's what makes you the people of God. That's what makes you the people of God. He's not done with you. He's not giving up on you. He's going to take you into the next storm and the next storm and the next storm, and he's going to save you every time. But you have to count that cost. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. And that's why this is a parable, because he says the hard word, he does the hard thing, and you have to decide, because of what he said and done, what are you going to do? And you either go away from him or you go closer to him. You say, okay, now I am terrified. I'm going to just get, oh my gosh, I'm going to hold on to your legs. You are amazing. You're terrifying. What did Peter, what does Peter do? Once he sees the holiness of God coming out in Jesus Christ, he falls down before him and says, my God, my God. Go away from me, because it's too great for me. That doesn't come to people living easy, safe, selfish lives. You've got to get in the boat, and you've got to go where he, right? you got to go where he tells you. And when it gets stormy, have faith. Have faith. And when your faith fails, and you cry out to him, and he saves you like you did before, don't be, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that. He says, okay. Why didn't you have more faith? All right. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of how far you've gotten. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take us to the other shore, and we're going to have some fun, and then I'm going to take us out on another boat next weekend. (laughs) You're like, I'm (laughs) Right? And I'm not kidding, you guys. There ought to be this moment where we're on the shore, and there's the boat, and and just for a moment we think, Okay. Because all too readily, we just hop in and think it's all going to be hunky-dory, baby. It's going to just be donuts and sunshine and milkshakes. We have all heard him speak to the storm and quiet it. We've all heard it. 
We have all rode and rode and rode and wondered where he was until only to realize he was there all along. And what he had planned, the reason he rode us so far is because the further we rode from where he gave us the promise to the fulfillment of the promise, that, that distance is how much greater it was when he fulfilled it in his own time. Tell me that's not true. And every time you woke him up, he was there and he was ready to, to go to work. Trust him. Wait for him. Get in the boat and row, baby. Bail when you got to bail. Do what you got to do. Repent of what you got to repent of. And trust him. Fear him. He is more terrible and more wonderful and more powerful than anything you're going to come across in this world or the next. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord God, we are terribly afraid of things in this world, of our own hearts, of our own sins. Father, we, we, we are terribly afraid of our own sins. We are terribly afraid of where this boat is going. We're terribly afraid of the storm that, that continues to come up and, and, and challenge our lives, that brings us to the very brink of death. We pray, Lord God, that in all of these circumstances, we know that you're with us. But help us to believe it. Help us to trust you. Help us to know it. Help us to have more faith, Father God, that we might honor you and revere you and fear you more than we fear anything else in this world. Thank you. And we praise you. And as we go from here today, Lord, because of who we are in your son, help us, Lord, to do and to live as he did and as he lived. Because you loved us, we love you. Let us be holy as he is holy. Let us speak compassionate words as he spoke compassionate words. Let us do what he did because we are yours. And we know that we are yours because we are in this boat. Because he has quieted the storm. Because, Lord God, when we cried out to him, he responded. Help us. Help us to have more faith. Amen.